Turn our Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 6. We're continuing our series on Noah's Ark from Genesis 6 to 9 today. We'll keep going with it next week. Then we've got church camp in two weeks' time. So don't forget we're not meeting here in two weeks' time, but at church camp. And then we'll come back. We'll probably have one or two more weeks on on Noah's Ark after that. So let's look at Genesis chapter 6. And we're looking in particular at verses 9 to 22. At the start of the year, we found ourselves on on our travels in America in a train station in Pennsylvania, and Amanda Sue ordered a ticket from the ticket office, and the man behind the the counter got so excited when Amanda Sue ordered her ticket because he could tell straight away that she was Australian. And he was so excited that she was Australian that he, he literally came out of the ticket office, he locked it up, and he spent the next 15 minutes showing us his YouTube channel where he does impersonations of Australians. (laughs) And they looked exactly like an American trying to be an Australian and and failing miserably at that. Now, how could could this man tell that Amanda Sue was Australian? Well, it was the accent. Her accent was the giveaway. And the question I have this morning is, how can you pick a Christian? How can you pick a Christian? In the old days, ministers wore clerical collars. Some of them used to cut them out of yogurt containers, apparently, if they, they lost, lost the, uh, the real thing. But you could tell that they were Christians, obviously, from their clerical collar. And many of us remember lots of Christians putting fish stickers on the, the bumpers of their cars. And we used to see a lot of them 20 years ago. I can't remember the last time I saw a fish sticker. No Christians seem to be brave enough to put a a Christian fish sticker on on their bumpers anymore. Or you would see from time to time a Christian because they were carrying around a Bible. You might see them in a cafe or on a bus or a train reading their Bible. And these days, of course, Christians don't carry Bibles. We carry our smartphones and we read our Bibles more or less anonymously on the smartphones. And so, how do you tell a Christian? Well, we all know that Scott Morrison is a Christian now, don't we? Because the TV cameras uh, came in and filmed him praising God, hands raised in his, his church in Sydney. Everyone knows that he's a Christian because we've seen him singing praises to God. Or people might see Facebook posts, Instagram posts, which give away our our Christian faith, our Christian convictions. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this question? How do we identify a Christian, a person who has put their trust in Jesus Christ How does the Bible answer this question? We're going to see this question answered in Genesis chapter 6 today. And we are going to see that a Christian is identified. You can tell a Christian because a Christian is a person who obeys God. A Christian is a person who obeys God. 
And we heard in our reading this morning that God had determined to judge the world and to purge the world because of its depravity and its corruption and its violence. And if we look there at verse 17, God said, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. And what we see here is God bringing judgment on the earth by de-creation. Because on the second day of creation, what did God make? On the second day of creation, the first day he made, he made light. The second day he made a separation between the waters above and the waters below. It's as though God made breathing space on that second day of creation. And on the third day, what did God make? From Genesis chapter 1, he made the dry land, a place where human beings and land-dwelling animals could dwell. And what we see here in Genesis chapter 6 is God coming to judge the world by decreation. That's that, that breathing space would be destroyed. The waters that were kept above, the waters that were kept below, now God's going to take his hand off that and that, that breathing space, that living space is going to disappear and that dry land that God made for air-breathing animals and human beings to live on would likewise be destroyed. So the flood is very much decreation. God undoing what he did in those first six days of creation. And God said this to Noah. In the face of this judgment, he said, but I will establish my covenant with you, Noah. A covenant is a, a solemn promise, sealed with blood. And God established his covenant of salvation with Noah, and he said, you will enter the ark. The ark whose dimensions I have given you. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. God established a covenant with Noah that he would be rescued by this ark. Now, an ark is literally, in the Bible... Think of the Ark of the Covenant. What's that? What's the Ark of the Covenant? It's a golden box, a golden container. And that's what an Ark is. It's literally a box. It's a container. And this is a very large container, of course. The uh, measurements are given in cubits. A cubit is the, was, uh, the distance between your fingertips and your elbow, and of course, that, that distance varied between different people, and so there was a, a standardised cubit. But most scholars say that the dimensions of, the, of Noah's Ark would have been something like 135 metres long and about 23 metres wide and about 14 metres high. 135 metres long, I was trying to think of, of something that might help us there. I went to the internet to look out Look at how big a football pitch is, an AFL football. Is it a pitch or a field? Someone help me here. It's a rugby pitch. 
field. Okay, football field. And I was surprised to hear that there's no actual standard size for an AFL field. But uh, the, the, the minimum size is 135 metres, the same length, in fact, as Noah's Ark. The width is about the width of an Olympic-sized swimming pool and three storeys high, uh, 14 metres high. That's the dimensions of Noah's Ark. And God told Noah to build this ark, and we read in verse 22 that Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And as we look at Genesis chapter 6 and 7, Moses, the author of Genesis, emphasizes again and again and again Noah's obedience. Look there at chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. And verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 5, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 9, Noah entered the ark as God commanded Noah. Chapter 7, verse 16, the animals going in were male and female of every living thing, just as God commanded Noah. I hope you are hearing what Moses is saying so emphatically is that Noah was an obedient man. Noah obeyed the Lord's commandments. And Moses emphasizes this, not because Noah's obedience saved him. Now let's be very clear about this. It wasn't Noah's obedience that saved him, it was the ark that saved him. And by the way, I think we should change Noah's ark to the Lord's ark. The Lord's ark. He designed it. He gave the dimensions. He showed Noah how to... It was the Lord's ark that saved Noah. Wasn't his obedience per se, but the fact that he was hidden in the Lord's ark that rescued him. But it was a bit his obedience that put him in the saving arms of the Lord. Noah trusted the Lord to save him, and so Noah obeyed the Lord. And we need to be clear, brothers and sisters, that saving faith in the Lord is always expressed by obedience to the Lord. James chapter 2, verse 17. Faith by itself, says James, if it is not accompanied by action, and in the context he means obedient action, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is, what does he say? Is dead. It's a dead faith if it's not accompanied by obedient action. Romans 1 verse 5, Paul says, that we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. The Apostle Paul says that faith leads to obedience. Obedience comes from saving faith. In Matthew chapter 7, 
At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus predicted this, that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform miracles. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And Jesus is saying there that many will come on the last day and say, Lord, I had great trust in you, great faith in you. My faith was so great, I was driving out demons. And he will say, but you didn't obey me. You didn't obey my commands. And that showed that your faith was an empty faith. Because real saving faith in Jesus, like Noah, is an obedient faith. When we trust the Lord, we obey the Lord. Noah trusted him. And so Noah obeyed him. And our Lord Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And Noah did love the Lord, and he obeyed the Lord's commands. And Moses emphasizes this again and again in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. Now, I want you to notice that Noah obeyed God when it seemed ridiculous to obey God. Because God comes to Noah and he says, right, he doesn't say build a ship. A ship has a keel, a ship has propulsion by sail or oars or some other method of propulsion. But, but build essentially a giant box, Noah, a barge, just a, a giant floating box. And not only did, did Noah have to build a giant box, but it was built, as far as we can tell, on dry land. A giant box on dry land seemed to be a ridiculous thing to have to build. And God said, in this giant box are going to be two pairs of all kinds of animals. How is Noah going to collect all these animals. You've heard the expression herding cats, right? Herding cats. Well, Noah was given the job of herding not just cats, but walruses, cobras, red-backed spiders, penguins, wombats, centipedes, guinea pigs, geckos, gorillas. Kids, help me out here. What else did Noah have to... Chickens, pigs... Peacocks, seagulls, emus. I mean, pick the children of the vets, okay? <laughs> Here they are at the front. They know all the animals. Thank you. So we, 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 we get the idea of how many and, and, and how... <laughs> okay. I really opened a, a can of animals. <laughs> Uh, by asking that, 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 that question. The point is, <laughs> the point is, what Noah 
What God asked Noah to do was, on the face of it, a ridiculous thing to have to do, to build a giant wooden box in the middle of dry land was on the face of it a ridiculous thing. And the ark was built on the promise of an event of rains and floods that had never been seen before and would never be seen afterwards. What God commanded Noah to do seemed outrageous, yet Noah obeyed. That's what saving trust does. It obeys God even when it seems outrageous to obey him. And so when God comes and God says, come and put your trust in my crucified son for salvation. Now that was a message that the Jewish people found deeply offensive, abhorrent. Trust in the crucified man for salvation. Well, that's what saving trust does. We trust even when it seems outrageous to trust. And for the Romans, of course, who loved the idea of power and strength, when God came and said, come and trust in my crucified son, that seemed ridiculous and offensive. And yet, saving trust does that. We trust even when it seems outrageous to trust. Now, Lord Jesus comes to you and he says, if you are my followers, don't worry, he says in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, who you're going to marry, whether you're going to marry, what career you're going to have, your health. Jesus says, don't be anxious about these things. Just seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and God will provide all that you need. On the face of it, that seems like an outrageous thing to, to be asked to do, doesn't it? When Jesus comes to us and says, don't worry about all the things that the world worries about. Don't be anxious for these things. That might sound like an outrageous thing to ask. Yet we obey. We obey. We obey even when it seems silly to obey. When God says, turn the other cheek, the world says, well, that's, that's, that's stupid. But we obey because our Lord teaches us that that is how we are to respond to those who attack and offend us. Real faith obeys even when it is difficult to obey and seems outrageous to obey. The second thing I want you to notice is that Noah obeyed even though it was very costly to do so. The scholars estimate that Noah's ark would have required 3.1 million board feet of timber. And the, the kind of timber mentioned in Genesis is a gopher wood, 
no one knows what that actually is. The best guess is cypress wood. And so I got onto the internet and I, I wondered where I could buy 3.1 million board feet of cypress wood. And I found a place in America, A&A &A Lumber Supply in Avondale, Pennsylvania, will supply cypress wood, um, 3.1 million board feet of it at a cost of $8.5 million. So that's, uh, that would be the, 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 the costs. And that, that actually came in somewhat cheaper than what, I, what I, I pictured it to be. But when you add labour, now we're starting to get very expensive. And in fact, a replica was, of the Ark was built in 2016 in Kentucky. And if you look at the front page of your corner post, you'll see a photo of that replica. And I think it's a, quite a lovely photo. There is one glaring fault, at least one glaring fault with that arc. What is it? I mean, it looks gorgeous, but God said to Noah that he had to cover it, right? Cover it in bitumen. So I think the original arc wouldn't have been this gorgeous-looking timber vessel like that. It would have been quite plain-looking, covered in, in waterproof bitumen on the outside and the inside. Anyway, the replica of the Ark that they built in Kentucky cost $100 million, and it, it only took them a year because, well, we've got power tools now, and uh, power saws, and uh, cranes, and trucks, and computers, and, and all kinds of modern gadgets. Scholars estimate that it would have taken Noah many decades to have built the Ark. So the equivalent, at least, of $100 million and many decades to build the ark. A tremendous cost of time and money. And when God said to Noah, build the ark at such tremendous cost, what did Noah do? He obeyed. He obeyed. Unlike the rich young ruler, by the way. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus wanting to know the way of salvation. And Jesus said, sell all you have and give to the poor. Then come, follow me. He wasn't willing to pay that cost. He wasn't willing to give up his riches and his possessions. And saving faith in Jesus does mean sacrificing for the poor. The Apostle John says this in his first letter, chapter 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him. How can the love of God be in him? Saving faith is a costly faith. It's expensive. It requires that we be ready to give up all. And that's what Noah did. A tremendous cost of time and money. 
And that's what he did in obedience to God. And so when God says to me and to you, we need to give to those in need until it, until it hurts us, then we ought to obey. We must obey. When God says that we must use our time and our gifts for others, we must obey. When God says we must pay our taxes and pray for our government, we must obey. When God says to married couples who are doing it hard, you must keep fighting for your marriage, even though that's costly, even though that's hard, even though that costs you sleepless nights and hard conversations, you've got to pay that price. Saving faith is costly. Obedience is always costly. But saving faith is willing to pay that cost. And thirdly, finally, Noah obeyed, even when it cost him his reputation. So we've seen so far that, that, that Noah's Noah obeyed when it seemed outrageous to obey. He obeyed when it was costly to obey. And he obeyed even when it cost him his reputation. Because Peter tells us, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that Noah was not just a builder. What else was Noah? What was Noah's, if you like, his, his other job? He was a builder and he was a preacher. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And so Noah had to build this gigantic wooden box out in the middle of dry land on the promise of a flood that was goodness knows how long into the future. And he is telling people, he's preaching to people, a flood is coming, God's judgment is coming. What do you think people thought of Noah? What do you think? He would have been mad Noah, right? Crazy Noah. He would have been a tourist attraction. Come and see this outrageous man building at tremendous cost and time He's this gigantic box because he thinks it's going to be a big flood. And he thinks that, that the human race is going to be saved in this box, that animal life is going to be saved in this box. And Noah's preaching and he's telling people judgment's coming. We need to turn from our sins and trust in God. He would have been mad Noah, crazy Noah. But Noah obeyed, even though it cost him his reputation. His building, his preaching, it would have made some laugh and others, it would have angered, I'm sure. He would have angered many by his preaching. And I reckon many people would have said to Noah, Noah, you're discriminatory. Listen to your preaching. Listen to, to what you're saying about uh, sinful people. You're hateful, Noah. You're anti-gay. You're uninclusive. 
And if there'd been an anti-discrimination board back then, Noah would have been taken before it. But they, they weren't. Back in the day, they just threw rocks at you. And I'm sure that Noah had his fair share of rocks thrown at him. And Noah faced all of this. And Noah obeyed, even though it cost him his reputation. So brothers and sisters, this is what Christians do. We trust God. And because we trust God, we obey him. We trust and obey. And so God says to you this morning, the Lord Jesus says to you this morning, flee from sexual immorality. Will you obey him? Will you obey him in this? And our Lord Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Will you obey him? Will I obey him? If we trust in Jesus, we will obey Jesus. And he says, I want my people to do good in their community, in their family, in their schoolyards, the university campus, in their workplace. I want my people to do good. And I want others to see my people doing good. I want them to be shining lights wherever they are. Will we obey our Lord Jesus in this? And our Lord Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And it's great to have Luke Hansard here today talking about how the nations are coming to Hobart and how the gospel is being presented to so many from China and India. And our Lord Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Will we obey? Will we be a church cornerstone that is committed to this, this mission, this great commission that our Lord Jesus has given us? In Proverbs 31, the Lord says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Will we obey? Will we speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves? For the poor, will we have the courage to do that? Will we be like Noah, who spoke up for decade after decade at the cost of his reputation, his time, his money, but he obeyed? That's what saving faith does, it obeys. The Lord says, if a person's gift is serving, let him serve. If a person's gift is teaching, let them teach. If it is encouraging, let them encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. If it is leadership, let them govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully. Will we obey in this, brothers and sisters? 
Because right now, as we can see, we're a, a church that, that is growing. And this is God's, God's kindness. But with this kindness comes tremendous responsibility. Will we all use those gifts that God has given us to serve one another? Those gifts are not for ourselves. They're not to be hidden away. They are given to serve and to love. If God is bringing more people to us, will we use those gifts to bless and to help and to love those people with the gifts that we have been given? Will you obey in this? This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. They're a delight. They're a joy. So let's look to Noah and the tremendous example of faith and obedience, saving faith and obedience joined together in one man. Let's look to him as a tremendous example for us all. Amen. Thanks, musicians.